You're listening to How to Grow Your Fitness Business, a podcast from Fit Nation. We believe our industry is at its strongest when we stand together and share knowledge with each other. Here, you'll get key learnings and quick, actionable insights from our interviews with the top players in the fitness industry. Please make sure to subscribe to and share this channel, and together, we can help grow your fitness business. Welcome, everybody. We are back for yet another episode of Fit Nation's Lunch and Learn. We want to thank everyone for taking the time to join us on today's show. We have a topic that's spurred a lot of interest from many of our listeners. So we've invited someone who's very qualified to speak on it. The topic is corporate wellness, and that speaker would be Canada-based Tim Boris. So Tim is the CEO of the Fresh Wellness Group. He helps executive leaders ignite their personal and organizational potential and is also the creator of the Working Well podcast. So today we'll be discussing workplace wellness trends, how gyms can effectively start, scale, and manage corporate fitness programs, and how to create engaging health routines for traditional non-gym users in the workplace. So this is a model that is gaining, of course, a lot of traction because of the pandemic, uh, and there is a new opportunity for gym owners to capture that if applied correctly. So Tim, without further ado, thank you for taking the time to join us today. It's my pleasure. It's great, Alex. And uh, yeah, I'm, this is an area that I'm very passionate about and seen it grow throughout my career in my own business. And it's something that, as you mentioned, because of the pandemic, there's so much greater need for this all around. And I think, well, with the challenges that the fitness industry has faced over this last year and a bit, mm-hmm. if well, if businesses that are able to adapt and see this type of market have a huge potential as well. Nice. grow and expand 100 agree and and speaking for my own my day job where i talk to a lot of gym owners and i'll talk to a lot of corporate fitness providers um I, I also see the interest in this and the really the service level really starting to ramp up as well um so for our listeners just as some background maybe you could tell us a, a little bit about your background what you do how long you've been involved in the fitness industry yeah um uh, you know the the cole's notes or the short version is uh been in the industry I guess over 30 years now, I uh, was a baseball player and coach in high school and university, uh, strength and conditioning coach for National Baseball Institute here in Canada. And uh, yeah, worked with a lot of high-end athletes and then got into the fitness industry after that because I realized that the, especially 30 years ago, the market for training elite uh, high-end athletes was pretty limited. <laughs> I think there are a few more opportunities out there now, and it's uh, something that companies are willing to pay for, or businesses are willing to pay for on that. Mm-hmm. But uh, at the time, this is back in the day when uh, pre-internet, we'll call it. <laughs> I'm that old, yes. <laughs> and uh, not not older than the internet, but older than everyone using <laughs> the internet on a regular basis. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I was a personal trainer, then started my own business, and I have a few different divisions of the business now, uh, run private personal training studios. Uh, we do uh, co- mostly corporate managed facilities. So out of that corporate managed facility comes the, the fitness center design and consulting, as well as the workplace health and wellness consulting. And again, that stems all from the background in the fitness industry. Uh, a lot of clients that that I was working with as a personal trainer were corporate executives and leaders in, in companies. And they would come in and say, oh, I hate my job. I'm miserable. And they would want to work out hard. But I realized that what they were doing from, I'd like to say nine to five, but it was usually about seven till seven. <laughs> um, they were, it was basically killing them literally and figuratively from a physical standpoint, from a mental, mental standpoint. So a big part of my career shifted in that sense is I realized that I came up with what I call the 165 hour rule is that the th- I usually saw people about three hours a week. And I'm like, if, if that's the only three hours I see them, my biggest benefit can be trying to change the other 165. Because if I gave them the best session in the world and then they, went home and stayed up till three in the morning and ate McDonald's and were stressed out and not moving their body and not doing their homework. The next time I saw them, they'd be in worse situation than when I saw them the last time. So that, that philosophy, that approach really worked with the clients I was seeing. 
but I also started to get invited to companies. These executives would say, hey, like, can you come and talk to my leadership team? Can you come in, uh, talk to my employees, put on a seminar, a workshop? And originally it was just lunch and learns. And, you know, I'd come in and run like a boot camp or fitness challenge out of the, out of a company. But then what I started to see is that, you know what, the, the people that are coming out are those that are generally fit and healthy already. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's the, the people that we see in the gym are the people that want to go to the gym. And that's probably 10% of the population. There are a massive amount of other people that say, I hate the gym. I would never step foot in a gym. And as a gym owner, that's not necessarily a good thing. Yeah. We, we want to find a way to attract. Those are the people that need our services the most. So we have to find a different way to approach and, I guess, attract those people. And it's not necessarily the typical gym environment that attracts them. And that's where workplace wellness can really make a big difference and come in handy. Nice. Great. And and tell us a little bit about the mission that you guys have at Fresh Wellness Group right now. Yeah. To put it simply, you know, we help, excuse me, <laughs> puberty. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, I, I believe life is awesome and it's packed with potential. Yet a lot of people don't see that. Uh, I mentioned the people coming to work, you know, they're like zombies. They hate their job every day. They get up and it's, they do the same thing every day and they're not enjoying it. Very few people are living an awesome life and living into what they believe they can do. And that's, that's something that I saw early in my career. Well, from personally myself as an athlete, when I took care of myself and was really training well and working hard, I could see the huge increase in mental capacity, physical capacity, the happiness level, the, what I was able to do in all other areas of life. And that was something that I really worked hard to provide clients that experience. So yeah, there is so many, it's, it's not more that it's so much more than sets and reps. And I think a lot of fitness professionals have a very narrow approach to what they do and aren't seeing the really huge power and potential that they can offer people by doing training and coaching in an effective way. Nice. All right. And, and of course, one of the main topics that we have today is really talking about your experience and the work you're doing right now, and then threading that into workplace wellness. So taking kind of a helicopter approach to start with workplace wellness to begin with, talk to us about workplace wellness and corporate health pre-pandemic. Like what, what did that look like uh, before we really dive into how that's changing today? Yeah, it's, I think it varies a lot between company to company. It also varies between regions of, of the world. What, what is normal in Europe is not always normal in North America. Uh, Canada and the U.S. are different. Uh, you go to you know, other company, countries in Asia or you know, Australia, New Zealand. Like it, it's different all over the world. At the base level, we know that people perform better when they're healthier, happier, and more fit. <laughs> They just do. Uh, that's like a universal constant. Uh, I've yet to find someone that didn't perform as well when they were healthier, happier, and fit. So people are people. And when you can help employees in an organization elevate their performance from the the mental, the physical, and also the, the organizational side, companies perform better. And that's at the basis of workplace wellness. That's why companies invest in it. That's why employees, even from, you know, there's a saying that I think Brian Tracy was, you're, you're the CEO of your own personal services company. Even if you're a solopreneur or, you know, you're in reception at a massive multinational, the fact is you are in control of your own performance. And so employees have to take some of that on themselves but companies also need to understand that the that people they people need some help otherwise everyone would be doing it and that's where fitness professionals and coaches can come in so as far as what did it look like pre-pandemic 
it was really, I see it more of a, a nice to have or a, a smattering of services. And a lot of companies say, oh, we have a wellness program. We do this. We do a stop smoking seminar and we do a, you know, a, a workplace wellness week every year. And, you know, it's, we have a stress management seminar and they, they equate workplace wellness to this service or this service or this service or some combination of them. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think that thankfully you know, one of the benefits of the pandemic is that it's changing quickly. Mental health is just, a, has been a massive focus this last year. Uh, we don't have to look very far to see the, the negative impact on that, on people's health, performance, happiness, and at the organizational level, all the, a lot of the chaos that's happening yeah. in, in companies. And another aspect of that is that I think, well, I know that companies are starting to really understand that people are experiencing this pandemic and in to expand that beyond the pandemic situation, experiencing life in very different ways. And that what may work for engaging and helping an executive team be more helpful doesn't necessarily work for line level workers or people in certain other situations. And so leadership is starting to see, wow, you know what, what my situation isn't necessarily someone else's situation. Being able to see that bigger picture has helped more cater programs and delivery of programs to be more effective for all kinds of uh, people and groups throughout organizations. Nice. Yeah. And I know um, one of the things that we talked about as well is, you know, part of these changing tides is, um, you know, some of the, the common aspects of wellness. I think you, we had talked about eight of them um, prior. Do you, do you want to expand on that a little bit? Yeah, it's, again, because lo- most companies and, and actually I'd say, I'd hazard a guess to say most fitness providers view wellness through a much more narrow lens and like checkboxes, huh? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's uh, you're like, oh, we've done this and okay, great. The pandemic has really opened up the fact that there are, you know, help people be aware that there are more aspects. So there are eight sort of really common ones. And sometimes you'll I've seen up to 14 or 15. If you take some of these and break them up a little bit more, I've also seen people say four or five and they just combine a couple of them together. I know in, in, at Fresh, we have our four pillars of performance, mindset, habits, movement, and fuel are our four pillars of personal performance and they encompass most of these. Uh, but you know, if we're looking at the specific aspects of workplace wellness mm-hmm. and our wellness in general, actually, uh, there's a physical, emotional, spiritual, and that's where I call it the mindset side, the environmental, financial, social, and occupational. And while all of these areas are not necessarily going to be under everyone's scope, to provide services on, it's important to understand that those are aspects of wellness. And so someone might be rocking it in certain areas, but if they're really struggling in one, that can pull down their performance level in, in other areas. And, uh, you know, we won't go into all the different aspects, the physical, emotional, spiritual, financial, social are pretty, pretty well known, I I guess you would say those are the more common ones. Uh, The environmental and the occupational are a little bit different in the sense of environmental is the, the the physical office environment. You know, if you're working in a building with uh, no light or um, really fake lights and no natural light, um, poor air circulation, uh, off gassing from, you know, certain chemicals in the building, that's yeah. going to have a negative impact on your health and your well-being, your health, happiness, your performance. So, you know, if we look at the lead building um, boom now, people are building buildings, career, yeah, building structures <laughs> with more, I guess, wellness-oriented um, green spaces, natural light, better airflow, yeah. uh, collaboration spaces which help with the social the emotional the physical uh, aspects of wellness so it's it's great to see those things happening on the occupational side that's having a purpose and a you know a passion at work and being able to feel that you're fulfilling some type of important role 
or accomplishing something at work. And that those are really important things that I think a lot of people don't think about it at well, from a wellness standpoint. It's like show up, do your work, get your paycheck, go home. Yeah. Um, and especially in the, the knowledge economy, there's so much more tied to our, you know, personal passion and productivity. And that's something that, again, a lot of people, especially if you're a gym owner looking for, you know, a corporate contract, you're like, I just want to get people into my gym and work out. But having an understanding of these aspects of wellness allows you to speak differently to the the corporate decision makers that are going to be paying you to, to provide this yeah. service. You need yeah. to be able to show you have value because gyms are a dime a dozen. Uh, they're, they're all over the place. From the outside, the onlooker, they all provide pretty much the same service. If you're just a general membership gym, you're renting space, renting access to equipment for an ex for a monthly fee. Yeah. And how is that different than the person down the road? And uh, what's that going to benefit from the employees? What if they already have a gym space in their office? How do you say, well, they're like, well, employees can use this for free. Why would I have a corporate membership? So being able to speak to those things and say, Hey, you know what? I can do this, this, and this to help with the wellness of your employees. That's something they're not getting from, from what's going on at, at your corporate gym. Yeah, I gotcha. And not to, to go back to something that you, it piqued my interest when you mentioned uh, the environmental aspects. Um, it, I think it's so true. I mean, take, take lighting, for example, something I experienced myself. Uh, bad lighting in an office led to eye strain, right? And eye strain leads to headaches, which makes me not want to work. Um, so now there's this big market, of course, for blue light filtering glasses. But you just think of this like cause effect string that would be caused by something pretty standard as, as something like lighting or just the general environment of the office. And so, yeah, I think you're, you're exactly right. Being able to communicate to leaders about how these external things will impact their bottom line. Um, that's how you can really start to turn the wheel and, and turn the tide of these conversations towards the importance of corporate health. Right. Yeah. yeah and it's, it's thinking beyond, beyond the gym. And if I go back to the 165 hour rule yeah, is you if your members spend three hours a week in your facility, what are they doing the other 165? That's your opportunity to create results. Yeah. It's not the three hours they spend in the gym. Yeah. And so if you can transform those other 165, you can write yourself a blank check. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's foundational work, isn't it? It's not, uh, it's, it's not drywall stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like, well, I, I run workshops and coaching for other um, trainers as well. And, and that's one of the biggest things I try and help them understand is that fitness is such a small aspect of it. Uh, you know, that's and in, in order of importance, those four pillars of performance that I mentioned, mindsets by far the most important, then habits, then movement, and then fuel. And I call it movement because it's beyond exercise or fitness. Yeah. Uh, there's a whole thing called the movement spectrum, movement, activity, exercise, fitness, and performance. And it has to go through that range too. Most people try and go to the gym and get fit instead of moving properly. Uh, and that movement can be an aspect of your habits, but if your mindset's not in the right place and you don't have the right habits in place, fitness and nutrition are always going to be a struggle. Mm -hmm. And I clients, how many gym owners have sat in front of someone that says, I want to lose 10 pounds. I'm like, if you haven't, I, you're probably not in the fitness industry because yeah, that's yeah. The, the most common thing that people say. And I'll say, okay why why 10 pounds um you know i'm like i could cut off an arm and <laughs> you'll be 10 pounds lighter how's that going to help you yeah and i'll be like and you know that regular exercise and healthy eating are important to accomplish that goal right and they're like yeah i'm like why aren't you doing it <laughs> so like they already know what they need to do they probably even know how like how to do it they just aren't doing it. That yeah. tells me more fitness and nutrition isn't going to solve the problem. They need a mindset shift and they need better habits. Mm -hmm. And so as a fitness professional, I'm not doing my job if I haven't helped them shift those things. Because if, if my mindset is just, 
get them in the gym, kick their butt, make them sweat, burn a few calories, make them feel sore. And then I see them again in a couple of days. I'm not doing my job because not addressing the root. Yeah, exactly. And, and yet I'd say 90 plus percent of the fitness industry, that's their approach. Wait for them to come in the gym, give them a kick-ass workout mm-hmm. and send them home. And what we found in, in my company is that the more we focused on the mindset and the habits, the more we became coaches versus trainers. And we were helping them overcome some of those challenges. And the results came way more effectively than if we had just focused on the fitness. People got fit. They lost weight. But we weren't focusing as much on the workouts. And that's something that is, it was a really transformational shift in my career many years ago. And I see it happening more and more now, which is great. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I still, I think the those companies that are able to shift and adapt to that will see outsized returns compared to those that continue to try and follow the traditional model. Right, nice. And workplace wellness fits exactly into that. Yeah, and I think from, from workplace wellness, as we've talked about already, previously companies saw it as, um, you know, they're either ticking the checkbox, hey, we gave you a smoking webinar or seminar, like you should, you know, we did our part to help you be more healthy. In that sense, it was considered maybe kind of a perk, like a you know something a little bit extra on the side. But now it's now it seems to be shifting more towards a benefit, something that is standard and really important. Um, how do you feel we get, to, or how do we continue to prioritize large corporates to make that shift in their own thinking from perk to benefit? Yeah, and we talked about mindset shift, and a big part of that mindset shift is leadership and executives at the company seeing things differently. Yeah. That is not going to happen necessarily on his own or as quickly as we want. So as fitness professionals and wellness professionals, we, it's our goal to, or our role to help executives see that differently. Uh, the pandemic has been a great, is, is a great opportunity for us to continue accelerating that, that shift in mindset. Mm-hmm. The, you know, we just have to look at the last year. Uh, companies are allocating more for mental health coverage. Telemedicine has exploded. Um, you know, it, with people working from home, they're they're looking at their benefits plans and how how they apply those benefits. And this is a great opportunity for us to come in and say, yeah, we can help you with this, this, or this aspect, and you know, be a support system for other aspects that maybe are outside our scope. So I, I see getting it prioritized is going to involve a bit more of the shift from uh, treating symptoms to preventative. Mm-hmm. And that's really, we're really in the fitness industry are, we can treat symptoms and we're going to get people coming in with, you know, tight hip flexors or back pain. And, and we can help with that for sure. But the huge benefit of what we provide is on the preventative side mm-hmm. and the performance-based side. You know, we've already got an extensive medical system that deals with the the problems and the challenges. Our goal is to help not use that system as much, or, or at least, I guess, relieve the load on that system. And uh, and that's something more people understand on the pandemic. A lot of these lockdowns have been to ease the strain on the, yeah. the medical system. So if we can say, hey, you know what, we're here to help people from avoid getting into that situation in the first place, we're off, you know, on a much better footing or yeah. ground than uh, than we could be. Absolutely. I mean, there there are other pandemics happening than coronavirus, but coronavirus is the one that, of course, was <laughs> most urgent and pressing one in the past year. But that's yeah. it's actually a really poignant example. Like it was all about making sure that we relieved the load on the hospitals. However, why not, you know, re rethink that same positioning, but for things like obesity and things like any, you know, bad food habits, um, because eventually that's going to also start really piling up and, and increase the strain. Just as you say, I, I think that's a really, really good example that hopefully more people do start to, uh, do start to really understand and wrap their head around because of the events of the past year. Totally. And I don't know, I don't know what the stats are like in Europe, but in, in Canada and US, eighty uh, percent or four out of the top five causes of death are preventable causes. 
yeah, I, I would not be surprised to find it's, uh, it's, it's pretty on par. Yeah. It's, you know, we'd look at heart disease and stroke and, you know, mo a, a large percentage of cancers are preventable from lifestyle yep. um, challenges or life, lifestyle changes, um, diabetes, you know, you, the list goes on. Oh, indeed <laughs> um, it does. Yeah. Yeah. And, and those are all preventable based on lifestyle choices and, we have so many different it's there are multiple billion dollar industries built around treating those symptoms and yeah and everyone has their pill or their potion or their <laughs> special shortcut to try and try and try and do that i guess but mm -hmm. yeah people as the fitness industry we want to try and package it in a way that is providing a viable solution and it's fun and engaging and there are lots of ways to do that, but that's not something that's being promoted as much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, potentially, potentially a good segue then, because we've acknowledged already that corporate wellness plans, they're going to vary not only from region to region, but from company to company, but then also from potentially even the title of that person at, at that company, right? So how they can actually get the benefits from it from your perspective, like what corporate wellness plans do you see that actually start to have impact on the, the people who are taking part in it? Yeah. The, the ones that are based on strategy, mm -hmm. I would say is first you have to, it's that mindset about how they're approached. Mm -hmm. If the executives see it as just a perk or it's like some random service here and there, it's not going to be a part of the, the company culture. Yeah. Um, so we, we try and say there, there are sort of four things that we want each workplace wellness program to have. Uh, executive buy-in is a big one. A strategy that just based on the company needs their values, the key pain points of that company. And those are going to be different for every organization, but there needs to be a strategy in place, a plan to implement that strategy. Yeah. <laughs> and And then some type of metrics to to measure along the way uh, and ideally those me metrics map back to some type of executive accountability which who is sitting at the executive table has a kpi based around the performance of their employees yeah who's got right now yep. yeah I'd, I'd say it's less than one percent of executives actually have a some type of financial accountability for employee performance and health. Yeah. And typically who, who would that be? I mean, executives. So that would be a, a chief yeah, operations officer or, a, you know, head of chief HR officer, of course, uh, would be uh, someone there, but like who, who else is someone who, if I'm a gym owner and I want to make sure that I can get this program to be successfully adopted, who should I be targeting in a company to make sure that they have the, the high level buy-in? Um, and yeah, the, the any VPs or C-level executives are the, the key people that are going to make the decisions and have the, the power to allocate a budget to that because yeah. what we'll find, at least in North America, is that there are very few companies that actually have a budget for wellness. They're yeah. already spending a lot of money on quote wellness related things, but they don't see it there. It's usually the benefits plans and the healthcare costs and those things. Yeah. Uh, but very rarely do they have a budget for preventative wellness. And that's something that is, you know, someone in a, a lower level HR associate may have wellness as part of their portfolio. Uh, usually they're running it off the side of their desk as a pet project. It's mm -hmm. a sort of volunteer. They've been voluntold to, you know, put a wellness program together. So yeah. they've got their norm. Usually it's a benefits or total rewards type um, employee. They're, they're doing their regular job and then they've got this like little project they're trying to spin up on the side yet there's no budget for it. Or if they do, it's like, Oh, here's $500 to run, you know, some type of life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's like petty cash that come gets used and there's no, 
they're not evaluated in their job based on the performance of the wellness program in, in most like, and no executive is saying, okay, have you met your KPIs this, this quarter uh, on the program? What are the results that we're seeing None of that? It's like, did you run it? Yes. Okay, good. Okay. Check the box. Yeah. And that's something that is, we see in so many companies, even quite large companies that, uh, and some, and some have full-time employees to do that. But again, I, I still, you know, I've met, well, we've worked with companies that have one to two full-time wellness people, but they struggle because they don't report to any executive with that has accountability for that in their portfolio. So when push comes to shove, there's no, there's no recourse. The yeah. It just gets pushed to the side. And if it doesn't perform well, okay, we yeah. can still market it to people from a recruiting standpoint. This is, oh yeah, we have this great wellness program. We do this and this and this. No one knows or cares if, if it actually produces any results. And that's something that I see is missing. And I think the, the next phase of wellness is going to be around, hey, let's actually track what's going on. Yeah, let's quantify this a bit. And, uh, and yeah. So I, I would see them to, if I'm hearing what you're saying, so if I'm a gym owner, it's really all about trying to make sure that whoever I'm speaking to at the company can have some sort of executive, at least a, a line to the executive to get that sort of support and be metric driven. Um, it's, and then try and establish mutual KPIs with that um, champion or that internal business partner to make sure that you can successfully launch this. Are you a fitness professional? Need help with managing and retaining your clients? Say hello to Virtual Gym, your all-in-one membership management and coaching software. Keep your members engaged 24-7 by combining on-site training with home workouts via your customized app. Want to know more? Go to business.virtualgym.com. Do you need integrated payments within Virtual Gym? Do you want to automate collections and reconciliation? Together with Virtual Gym and GoCardless, you can offer best-in-class membership experience. Save time, money, and gain control with GoCardless. Reach us at www.gocardless.com. Absolutely. And from from my experience anyway, the 99% of the corporate contracts that we've uh, signed Mm -hmm. and worked at companies we worked with are from personal connections I've made, networking, um, clients that I've worked with that are our executives themselves or at least have the, the ear of a executive and can introduce me. Yeah. We've just banged our head against the wall multiple times in terms of marketing directly to executives that no, don't know, like, or trust us, which is, makes sense. Uh, you know, getting past the gatekeepers to the executive level is really challenging. And there are, everyone is trying to do that from a sales standpoint, no matter what your industry is, what, you know, they get, you know, mission to acquire. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's something that is really challenging to do. So I, my recommendation for fitness professionals is to look at your existing network, look at the clients you have when you have your intake forms, ask what their occupation is, find out about their, their level in the organization. I guarantee if you have more than, you know, 50 clients, you, pr- you're probably, unless your market is stay at home moms, uh, you and even if even then, the fact is, if, if someone uh, someone's on maternity leave, they might be an executive. You probably know some C level or VP executives at companies. Talk to them. If you've yeah. built a rapport with them from the fitness standpoint, talk to them about what things look like in their company. What's the what's the culture, the mindset around wellness in their organization? What are the biggest pain points? And I guarantee there are ways that you can help them. And that is the best in uh, for, for an organization. And once you are in with one organization, you can get referrals to other organizations and build up your, your portfolio of working with companies at that level. Yep. Yeah. It's like a snowball effect, really. It's, um, it's, yeah, you see it being applied to a lot of other different, um, yeah, people, sales roles and in different industries it's exactly that like if you're doing a good job here if you can secure that one intro and you do a great job you can use that to to just continue to win more business yeah right 
Um, the transferring then or, or, or transitioning a little bit more towards the business model side of it then. Uh, this is, as we've discussed, uh, one of the show notes that we want to focus on is how to take corporate wellness as a gym operator and turn that into a new revenue stream for your business, a new model that you can start operating. Um, we've acknowledged that so many gyms, they have the corporate membership, but how many gyms do you see are actually going to an on-site premise, for example, to provide corporate services? Uh, I'd say, yeah. So the number of gyms that are providing corporate services is pretty high. Um, sorry, that are providing corporate memberships is pretty high, but the ones that are going on site is very low. And even the ones that do go on site, typically they just recreate what they do in the gym. Mm -hmm. They will go on site and run a fitness class. or they'll do a personal training or a fat loss challenge or something like that, which is fine. However, if we want to differentiate and we want to look at what we can do for companies to actually create change in the people that need it most, then we want to look at that bigger picture of wellness. Um, the, the, uh, we have a, at Fresh, we have a, what we call a wellness pyramid and it's activity and education at the base of the pyramid, strategy at the top, or sorry, uh, metrics at the top and strategies ties it all together. So those four pieces need to be in place uh, from what I would say a workplace wellness standpoint. Most companies or most gyms that come in are just looking at the activity side and they're providing training sessions or classes or challenges or something like that. There's not as much on the education aspect. Okay. There's so many opportunities for lunch and learns, seminars, workshops, uh, things to really help create that change in people and you're going to attract people that wouldn't necessarily attend a fitness class which are the people we want to attract most because if people were coming to your gym on a regular basis you would need to go into the company no and that that company allows us access to that 80 to 90 percent of other people that don't step foot in the gym on a regular basis Okay. Uh, the strategy part, it can be a service in its, in its own right. Uh, that we started doing fitness center consulting because of my, the executive clients that came to us from a personal training standpoint and would say, Hey, uh, our company's thinking of building a gym or our company's wants to put in a little fitness room for employees. What equipment would we need? And so we started sitting down with them and consulting and saying, you know what? Hey, how many employees do you have? What's the demographic? What type of space do you have? What's your budget? And we would put together a little package for them. And this is some of them were like a 250 square foot, uh, like file room that they moved some filing cabinets out of. And we would like bolt, uh, put some TRXs on the wall or the ceiling and a couple exercise balls and uh, maybe a, a set of kettlebells in the corner and that was it. Like their budget was $3,000 yeah. for equipment. But what we would then do is go in and teach people how to use that equipment, run workshops, run sessions. Uh, so the consulting feeds the other service side of it. And, uh, and as we got going and doing more of those, that consulting became facility management contracts where we would run the gym for the employees of that organization. The company would pay us to be there and staff it and provide services and programs. And once we were doing that, we said, Hey, that's great, but we're still only attracting X percentage of the, the employee base. And those, those are typically the ones that are going to use a gym, whether you have it or not. Mm -hmm. So what can we do to help the other people outside of that? And that's where setting up the strategy in the company helping the company to figure out, Hey, what are the, uh, what are the hot buttons? Where are the red flags in our you know, um, health plan? What, what is cause, costing us the most money? Hey, we have 50% of our population that's overweight or obese. And that actually be less than the average. Cause I think in, at least in North America, it's two out of every three people are overweight or obese. So, Hey, what can we do to, uh, our diabetes costs off, off the charts? Uh, you know, how many people are taking insulin every, uh, every month. And so mm -hmm. if we can minimize some of those health impacts, it's a huge benefit to the company. 
uh, starting to get familiar with things like absenteeism, presenteeism, uh, you know, lost time, sick days, those numbers, and, and starting to chat with the company about how you can help make a positive impact on those numbers, that becomes a tangible bottom line return to the company. If you can, if you can make changes in those areas, but once you can't make changes in those areas, unless you identify what the red flags are and where put a strategy in place and say, yeah, this is important to the company. Here's the plan to change that. Here's our metrics. And then you just go back and show them that, Hey, this is what we did last quarter last year. Yeah. So yeah, really, really just leverage data that you guys have been collecting, whether you're using a platform for it or whether it's your own efforts to collect that data and just make sure that, yeah, if we're talking about executives earlier, they are metric driven people. So if you have the metrics to deliver to them, that's how you can make sure that this continues to grow and be successful and be in place. And, and most companies are already tracking those metrics. Mm -hmm. HR tracks all of the, all the or large majority of those. The, the thing is very few of the executives other than to say, wow, why did our costs go up last, last quarter or last year? Mm -hmm. they're, they're not tied into those to employee performance. They, they just think it's a, a, a line item cost to be managed. And they're not say, seeing it as something that is, hey, this is something we can target and minimize, or we can invest in a few key programs that are going to help us save hundreds of thousands or even millions of dollars in larger companies if we can do that. And if you can go into an organization and say, Hey, you've got a thousand employees. I could save you a million dollars every year. If we implement this type of program, it might cost you four or 500 grand, mm -hmm. but would you, would you, would you uh, pay 400 grand to save over a million? Most companies would. Yeah. And, uh, and so that's something that when we can go in from that perspective and have those high level conversations, it makes it that much easier instead of having companies see you as a fitness provider. Oh, well, you know, there's a gym down the street that does this and you do this. And while they're about the same and, you know, we also have a small gym in our facility. So well, we don't really need those services, but the the big box gyms, they all have corporate memberships and they'll yeah. give discounts and you're probably not going to compete with them on price. So don't compete with them on price. You can be on service. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. And, and we have two, um, two audience questions. I think we've touched on one of them for sure. And then the other one, uh, I'd be interested to get your take on the, the first one it's from Jason. He's from the Hornell YMCA in the U S um, and, and I think we're going to circle back to so maybe just like a few key bullet points to answer this one. He's asking how I get businesses and corporations interested in a collaboration with my fitness club to assist their employees with their health and wellness. So yeah, basically how, how to get, how to promote this interest to make them kind of bite. Yeah. And, and to answer Jason's question, it's what is he interested in engaging them on? Is it corporate memberships to come and go to their gym is it in-person services at the company uh, what services you're you're looking to promote are going to depend on how you approach that uh, i would say what you do is going to vary dramatically based on those service the type of service and what region or location you're in as well uh, if you're in a small town you probably know someone who knows the decision maker already. Whereas if you're in, you know, a city of millions of people, you might not know them, or you might have to do a bit more legwork to get in touch with the, the people that make those decisions. Marketing and sales really, I guess, come down to value. You have to be able to show the value of the service you're offering and have that prospect see it as something that, yeah, this would really benefit what I'm doing. And when you can do that and then have a smooth, I guess, onboarding process or delivery process that takes the, takes the work away from that person, makes it easier for them to implement. You're, you're already setting yourself up for success. 
So I'd say if it's uh, just health club memberships at the YMCA and you're wanting to get give provide corporate discounts for for volume, then that's there there are certain ways you would look at it there. But I, you know, I I'm always the mindset is try and create a blue ocean for yourself. Like make mm-hmm. the make the service seem so much better and different than what else is out there because you're probably as a YMCA, you're probably competing with lots of other, you know, franchise and uh, big box gyms out there that are doing similar things again, renting space or renting access to equipment. So what is the YMCA doing differently and how are you able to reach the people and demonstrate that to them? Do you have a trial program or a beta program they can test out that will allow you to provide something different. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Thank you for that. And uh, the other one kind of more on the, the pricing side of things. So this is from Josh. He, he's uh, he has a company called my fit crew also based in the U S uh, and he's wondering about recommended pricing structures that businesses like to see. Uh, I'd say, well, price, pricing is this nebulous thing that uh, it, at, at the base level, charge what you can get paid. <laughs> um, and obviously that, that meets your needs, but especially in the workplace wellness side, it varies so much, but even traditional fitness services, like uh, personal training, you know, you can, I, I know people, even in my city, like Calgary's a, a 1.3 million people. I know people charging $30 an hour for for one hour like for personal training mm-hmm. and you know at fresh we charge 120 yep. and i know people charging more than that too so what level of service are you providing what region are you in uh what's the service type uh some things are more commoditized than others uh even on the group fitness side you'd think that's pretty standard but you go to like a um one cycle or something like that, or the, um, the high end boutique spinner yoga studios, and they're $30 a class for, uh, for drop-in yeah. other ones are $5 a class. <laughs> and I know some that the instructors teach it both. So it's, well, yeah, we're, 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 we're prop. <laughs> yeah. what, what market are you trying to attract, um, from the, from the speaking standpoint too, well, workplace wellness is often viewed as, again, a perk, a uh, supplementary thing. When I when I do uh, my professional speaking engagements, if I go in as a lunch and learn or workplace wellness speaker, I might get five hundred dollars for a, for a session. But if I say, if I delivered the same content at a at a regional sales conference, I might get five thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. And same content, same amount of time, same amount of time prepping. The value that's seen on the sales side is like, oh, well, this information is going to help us sell more, which is going to bring more revenue into the company. And so companies are willing to spend much more money on those types of things that they see value for. So how do we create that value? How do we show them the value that, that can be created from what we're doing? And so as far as pricing, Mm-hmm. Uh, I I know when I started in the workplace wellness, I was thinking from a personal trainer standpoint, and I would charge what I thought was a decent amount. But at large companies, it wasn't even it didn't even register on their procurement radar. Like it wasn't even like I'd say, oh, it's a three thousand dollar package, and they're like, we don't have any, we don't have a process for anything under fifty thousand. They're like that's petty cash. Yeah, and when you're talking about companies that are you know tens or hundreds or hundreds of millions or billions of dollars, they're used to dealing in million plus dollar contracts. And so, if we're going in and saying, yeah, it's going to be five hundred bucks here and five hundred bucks there, they, it's almost not worth their time to deal with you at that point, literally. And unless you're working with, um, you know, a low level HR person that maybe has $500 in petty cash that they can run a six week challenge or something for a small group of people in a department. Yeah. 
you might find that. But if you're really interested in getting at the at the executive level in a company wide program, think bigger. Look at the company itself and think about what is it that I can provide and where's the value. And for me, I know I had to stretch my comfort zone of what I thought what I thought was even possible. And I still remember signing the first um, like multiple six figure corporate contract. And I was like sweating. I'm like, well, what the hell is this? And I look back at it now and I'm like, well, it was small, but it was, and for that company, they were just like, yeah, this is just peanuts. Like I often make the joke that the, the paperclip budget in a lot of companies is more than what we charge for wellness. <laughs> and, and so that's, that's strangely enough been a barrier because we've had to expand our services to be seen as legitimate almost. And, and so think about where you want to, what you want to accomplish with an organization and how you're approaching it. And now if you're approaching a company of 10 people, um, and small, a small business, yeah, you might have a different approach, but if, if the company's, you know, a couple hundred, a thousand people, you're, you're going to need to have a different approach than, uh, than you would for a 10 person company and probably a different package structure and pricing structure. Okay. Nice. Uh, that's a lot of good content in there. And one last thing that, that popped into my head related to that, um, pricing, if you do approach a company or are you usually doing this for the entire employee population? Are you doing it uh, based on a percentage or, or maybe if, even if it's based on a department, depends on who approaches you. Do you, do you see some variation there? Lots of variation. Yeah. And my, my goal, especially these days is to get in at the company level. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still end up, we still get approached by particularly like just had a client the other day, uh, who's, who's a personal training client in our, one of our studios approached me to come in and do a speaking engagement for just her group. Yeah. And it was a group of 35 regional salespeople. And so I did a, uh, you know, a little workshop series for them and provided we access to our app and, you know, a couple little small things like that. And with the goal of trying to expand to other divisions in the company. So you get your foot in the door where you can, mm-hmm. but if you ideally you go in at the top and then you can able, you can run programs throughout the organization. Yeah. Um, but yeah, absolutely. You'll get approached by HR people calling and saying, Hey, we need a, um, a nutrition lunch and learn. Can you come in and do that? Yeah. Uh, we're looking to do a six week fitness challenge for our employees, particularly around new year's or back to school or things yeah. like that. Um, summer beach fitness or they're, they're, you know, same things that happen in the fitness industry. But the idea is that who, find out who you're uh, providing it for what that person's role in the organization is and then learn as much as you can about the company so you can start to take that step back and figure out what the best strategy might be to help that company and when you can that's going to open the the potential for so many more things okay to do down the road nice and for someone who's who's maybe venturing into this for the first time or, or they're relatively new into offering corporate services as part of their model what would you say are some pitfalls that you've seen or, or maybe even experienced in the past uh, that you would advise them to, uh, to avoid, of course? Uh, biggest one is thinking like a fitness professional. Okay. <laughs> um, the services that you currently provide can help people. Absolutely. Uh, but if you think only through the lens of the fitness, you're going to be limited in the ability to make an impact on the organization and to be taken more seriously throughout the, the organization. Uh, so if you can say, hey, yes, what we do can provide here, but we also are able to provide this. Think of the, even if we think of that just in a, in a fitness business, instead of just fitness classes and fitness training, offering the coaching service, the lifestyle coaching services more, the mindset, habits, movement, fuel, really, dialing in the educational aspects and the transformational or uh, coaching aspects of it. That that's something that we do, we can do in the fitness business. And I fully think more 
fitness professionals should expand their scope to those things. And if you're not comfortable on that, there are lots of courses available to do that, but that allows us to make a much bigger impact. If we take that approach and take it into the business world, yes, we can help people get more fit. We can help them lose weight, but look at why they're not already doing that. Because I guarantee every single person you work with knows that they need to exercise regularly and eat well. They're just not doing it. Mm -hmm. And corporations are like shooting fish in a barrel (laughs) to find people that need your help because they're sitting at a desk all day. They're not moving. They're Mm -hmm. inactive. Uh, They probably have poor productivity habits and poor health habits. These are ripe opportunities to help people make changes that don't involve going to the gym. So if someone is scared of going to the gym, they're intimidated, they're, they don't like it. We can still work with that person and help them. And, and that's something that I find company that the corporate side is, is a huge opportunity for fitness professionals. So being able to see that bigger picture. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think as we transition to one of the last main bullet points we wanted to focus on today, and you just touched on it in this last, uh, you know, last 15 seconds is how to really engage employees in a meaningful way. And then how you can use that to scale that success uh, across you know, the organization. Um, you've talked to us about your four pillars of performance already, but perhaps we could revisit those while thinking about how a gym operator can start to shift their mindset. So your four pillars of performance again, um, if you could remind our listeners. Yeah. Mindset, habits, movement, and fuel in that order of importance. Yeah. And that's really counterintuitive for fitness professionals to think of because they're so focused on fitness and nutrition and they're like diet plan, exercise plan, you know, drive it home. But if we don't shift that person's mindset, if that person thinks of themselves as someone who's fat and out of shape and they don't have the right habits in place, it Mm -hmm. doesn't, um, New Year's resolutions are a perfect example. So people can suck it up for three weeks, four weeks, six weeks. They kick their butt in the gym. They're going every day. They don't enjoy it. They hate every minute of it, but they're like, they see this light at the end of the tunnel. It's like, I signed up for this six week program. So I'll fuck my butt. And they might see really awesome results, but there's they, because they haven't shifted their mindset around who they are as a person and why they're doing this. It's always a struggle. They're always on a diet. They're always trying to lose weight on a workout plan, but they don't see themselves as someone who takes care of themselves because they're, they like to be active and they're, they eat healthy because it fuels their body and energizes them and allows them to do the things they want to do in life. That's a very different perspective to come from because now struggle turns into challenge and opportunity and this whole mindset shift around why they're doing what they're doing makes all the difference in the world and that allows it to sustain over time and you know i I say to clients all the time i'd rather see someone once a month for 12 months than 12 times in one month because i know that over the course of a year i can create more change Mm -hmm. and while i might only see them once a month they're gonna have to do more things on their own it's that other 165 hours, right? I'm, I'm trying to transform the, their lifestyle, their habits, their mindset. And it doesn't happen overnight. Uh, that's why the, we call it recidivism rate of, of uh, fitness, pro, like people fall off the wagon on fitness programs and diets all the time because it's, first of all, usually so strict and restrictive, it's not sustainable. Mm-hmm. It's not real life. And it takes so much willpower and effort to do that when someone's not seeing themselves as the type of person that does that anyway, then they always regress back to their old habits. And as fitness professionals, that's, that's our, that's our opportunity right there is to do things differently and we can help people get fit and lose weight for sure but we do that from a different perspective and a different approach. Yeah. Okay. And so it's, it's really, I mean, there's more trust there. It's, it's a mindset shift. Um, would you say 
there is a, a good way that a gym operator could create more trust in the workplace specifically. Totally. One of our, one of our most popular programs, and it took a bit of time to get, uh, to, to get that trust built. We mm -hmm. called it random acts of wellness. Um, uh, it's a service that we offer. Uh, it's essentially micro coaching. Yeah. We, we go into an office for anywhere from one to two hours, once or twice a week. And we just walk around the office and chat with people. Like sounds really strange, um, but it was it's been one of our most popular programs in the sense of people have access. Like they know they can hire a trainer, they know they can go talk to a nutritionist. They have they can phone a psychologist on their benefits plan and have this like conversation. But that's a formal thing. By walking around and just sitting down and chatting with people like you walk by their office and it's like hey do you have a couple minutes to chat i just wanted to you know get to know you and you're like i'm so and so from fresh and yeah at be at the beginning we we had this real uh, hesitation people were didn't want to open up and as we started just chatting and we could like oh what like what do you do for fun what do you do for activity we got to know about people in in this off i'm using this example of one particular office we did it was a company of 30 people and we would just walk around and chat and it took us probably three to four months before we were able to really connect with everyone and it would be five or ten minute little micro coaching sessions yeah the first ones were just chit chat by the time we got to the six month mark it was like people were see as soon as they knew we were coming in the office they'd be seeking us out oh hey i did this and they were excited about it and oh i'm I'm training for this now, or, Hey, you know, I've had this little knee issue going on. What do you think about it? And while we're not doctors or physios, we were able to have, you know, intelligent conversations with people and refer people to, yeah, yeah you might want to get that checked out or, Hey, have you tried like your kneecaps hurting? Have you tried foam rolling? Uh, when was the last time you did that? And they come back, my knee doesn't hurt anymore. And all these little things that people don't get the chance to ask in a, in a, they or they don't ask them in a formal situation, or it's too much of a hurdle to book an appointment with their physio yeah. or their doctor or their, you know, psychologist. And not to say that we're any of those things, but people, especially in COVID, and we've done this, we've done this uh, virtually uh, since then. And it's people just love the chance to chat, and not in a work standpoint or not in a social coffee chat. It's like they, they get the chance to ask the questions that have been niggling around or they're, they're typing into Dr. Google to try and find the answers to. <laughs> so you can, you can help them in that way. And it was remarkable when uh, that company ended up getting bought and disbanded and we, um, our contract ended with them. But we, it's been that particular company when we first started, it, it's been over 10 years and we still keep in contact with people that, at that company they're at different organizations because they were like oh that was so cool how you came in and did that and but it took it took a good three to four months before we were able to break through that hesitation around that yeah but but something as simple as that like just walking around and chatting with people sounds ridiculous cool. simple, <laughs> but it, it's incredibly powerful yeah yeah, it's uh, there's a, a guy in the UK named John Nasta. I'm pretty sure I've already I've even shared this quote uh, on this this podcast before. But he said, "Trust it arrives on foot and it leaves in a Ferrari." So you know what he means by that, of course, is like it takes time to build these relationships, and you can also lose them just as quick if if you don't do the right things. But yeah, you need to to slowly build up um, and and really kind of show yourself as that open authority uh, to that can help them get their goals. Um, you're, you're free to, you're free to take that one from John Nasta. If you like that. I love that. It's, it's, it's honestly one of my favorite quotes out there and it's because it's so simple and it's, it's just so true. And I think in the fitness industry, it's, it really can be applicable in business as well. Right. Just in pretty much anything. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So, so Tim starting to wrap up a little bit here. Um, Think about more like long-term outlook for the fitness industry. We always like to, to get our guests perspective on where they see things going. Uh, obviously we're going through some pretty rapid changes right now, um, but I'd be interested to get your take. Like where do you see the industry going, especially with new digital options from Apple and Peloton, things like this coming in. 
Yeah. Um, just evolving. I, I think the fitness is a, so much of fitness is becoming a commodity, particularly on the group side. Yeah. There were always competitors in the, our area, but now with COVID it's opened up to globally. And now we're competing against these large multinationals with multi-million dollar budgets for marketing and the average fitness company can't compete with that. And we shouldn't try to compete with that. Uh, what, what those companies aren't able to do is create a unique experience, create the community, uh, personalization for people. And so that's why private and small group is thriving over this past year. You know, group classes have been locked down. <laughs> you can't gather in big groups, but the fact is people are seeking that personalization and individual attention. And that's, you know, unless you have access to this massive influx of a steady stream of people and you're able to capitalize on that, great, go for go for the group side. But it's much easier to adapt and, and grow in the small and private side, I, I, at least from my opinion at this point. No, I, I see that as well. There's been studies coming out of the UK that have shown that smaller operators, uh, as they start to reopen, are faring much better than the the large big big box budget operators because it was that more you know high touch service more communal based uh, memberships and communication and so that got people coming back to them more and there's more trust there um, between that kind of member and and facility relationship yeah and tons of people over the past year bought home fitness equipment right yeah. Yeah. and so sold out for months as, <laughs> not as appealing to rent rent access to equipment anymore because you already have some yep but they will gladly pay to have someone to show them how to use that equipment effectively and help them avoid injury and customize it to their needs. And yeah, there are lots of opportunities for that. Certainly. All right. Well, hey, Tim, um, always a, a good wrap up question. Where do listeners of today's podcast, if they are really interested in, in hearing more or learning more about you or, or potentially how you could support them, uh, where do they go to find you? Absolutely. I'm on all the social channels, Tim Boris. Um, but uh, main website is freshgroup.ca or timboris.com. Uh, for those of you who are interested in more learning more about the, uh, like I mentioned, I teach fitness workshops. I've got an online functional movement coaching uh, certification at teachmovement.com. A uh, couple books, uh, thefitnesscurveball.com and workfromhomebook.ca. If you're interested in the corporate wellness side, the work from home book one has a uh, a lot of things that we work with our clients on just for even from an ergonomics and personal productivity and workstation setup and things like that, that are helpful and could be a good learning opportunity for you there to use your existing knowledge base and transfers a lot of it to the, the corporate world. Awesome. All right. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll be sure to check that out. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll have some links I think in the show notes that where people can go to find that as well. So Tim, Thank you so much for your time today. It's been super actionable. And, and as we mentioned, this is something that's gaining a lot more traction. So hopefully, uh, you know, listeners around the world have, have been tuning in and can apply this to their own business. Fantastic. It's been great to be on the show, Alex, and look forward to reconnecting again soon. Certainly. All right. Thanks, Tim. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of How to Grow Your Fitness Business. If you liked what you heard, don't forget to subscribe and share or head over to www.fitnation.co forward slash webinar to watch the video interviews.